um, what is it? The not the Boston Pops, the Metro, the New York Metropolitan. Op, um, what are those people with the fucking instruments? Mm-hmm. They just did a concert online. <laughs> people <laughs> with the fucking instruments. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey. Hi, everyone. The sky is falling, and we want to talk about what is going on in the country. And so let's jump directly into topics. First of all, how is everyone? I am... Frustrated, infuriated, sad. Trisha beat that. I am tired, um, angsty, a little muddle-brained, if if I'll be really honest, um, um, and uh, resigned, actually. Huh. I am scared and excited. So, yeah, excited. We can get to all that. So this, we're very well-rounded as a group. We've hit all the corners of the emotional <laughs> circle. So there's so much to talk about. There's protests happening, and I think, in now 175 cities worldwide, which is amazing, incredible, unprecedented. There is a narrative that has evolved in the media about the looting that's happening. It is giving the president ammunition to say that I will send the military in to deal with all the looters. There's endless videos on the internet of people smashing stuff and spraying graffiti. Um, Before we started the podcast, we're talking about what we wanted to talk about. I did not want to talk about looting versus protesting because I feel that every time that there is a push for rights, um, whenever there's a push for acknowledgement of black lives mattering, we have to discuss what 0.1% of the people who are out there are doing as opposed to the 99%. But I think it's worthwhile since this is where we are and we just need to call it out as it is. So you've all seen the footage of people protesting peacefully and then people looting. And I have to say, a lot of the videos that I've seen, and again, it's just what you're shown, so I don't know what to take of that. It's a lot of white people smashing stuff. It's a lot of the the videos that I've seen. I saw one video in Chicago where there was like a gang of black people, but other than that, it's been a lot. But anyway, where where are your thoughts on what the media is doing with the presentation? One of the things that's really been a struggle for the media is the idea that protests are organized by thoughtful people. Well, um, they call them riots. So Yeah, right. Um, that, that's that's not an accident. So I because I, yeah. I think it undercuts what you're saying right now. Yeah, but I mean, I think even when they use the framing of protests, right, they'll say something along the lines of the greater message of the protest is being lost by the few people. And then they spend the next 40 minutes talking about the few people. And then move on to the weather. Yeah. And then, you know, so I think they themselves center the few, which is, let's be honest, comparatively to compared to what they did last time when we had people protesting to go back to um to go back outside and open businesses during the corona those people were also a small minority but they presented them as a majority so maybe there is a there's a tendency just overall in the media media to take the smallest piece and blow it up for some reason 
they just think it's the most controversial angle. Um, nevertheless, um, I also have just been thinking about it personally because quite a number of people on my timelines at various bases talk, say that. They'll say things like, you know, this is all very, very important, but it's just they really need to stop with the looting. And I thought, you know, I think one of the things I realize is that I think that, first of all, I think more people are just comfortable expressing compassion for property and property owners. That's just the space where they go. Like, it's just like, like, I think it's hard for, I'll be honest, I think it's hard for people to sit in the discomfort of thinking about George Floyd's murder on camera. So instead of like sitting with that discomfort and that feeling, they'd rather just go to this narrative about destruction, not realizing that George Floyd's murder is destruction. It is the most important destruction. And I'm just trying to make sense of that. I'm trying to make sense of why that destruction isn't centered in people's own psychology. I mean, honestly, I think most Americans, when they see what happened to George Floyd, even those who are extremely outraged and disgusted by it, don't feel threatened by it. Me as a white man watching that, I can be completely disgusted and think it's unacceptable, but I probably don't feel like now that may happen to me. Like I may be arrested for, you know, a, a nonviolent crime and then, you know, without getting a trial or anything, I can just be, you know, murdered in the street. Whereas I think, and I'm not justifying at all because I share your concern here. And I think, you know, I think the, the terms riot and violent protests, we use those terms way too much. There have been a couple of instances of violence, but much more of these protests have been, you know, most of them have been peaceful. Some of them have involved destroying property. I wouldn't call that violent. I'm not saying it's right, but it's not violent. But anyway, if the store down the street has its windows broken and things stolen out of it, now I might feel like that could happen to me. So I'm I'm speculating some, but that may be part of part of what it is, where um, I just don't necessarily feel in danger of what happened to George Floyd, but I do feel in danger of people's houses and stores being indiscriminately, you know, broken into. The other thing to think about is that we're talking about TV media, right? We're talking about a very performative kind of storytelling, which is what the news has become. If you watch the news on any day where there isn't massive um, civil unrest, pretty much it's it's murder, mayhem, theft, violence, crime, uh, weather, human interest story, stay tuned for world news, right? That's mostly broadcasts. And so given that, they have to find the most salacious part of whatever is happening and the part that really speaks to people. And I want to say the most fearful part, like I find a, a lot of the news is very fear-based. Yes. If you've ever been to South Florida and watched the news, I don't know what it is about South Florida news, but that's all that's that's all that's on. It's just mayhem and murder and theft and crime and violence. Maybe it's because it's old people and they want to zoom into that and the old people are really concerned about that and they know their watch. 
But I think that's why they focus on the looters. Also for like just the basic racist reasons why they want to get a large group of African-Americans together or rather black people and then be like, oh, they're looting. You know, there's been these endless comparisons on Instagram and Facebook of like white people, quote unquote, rioting, which is like their sports team won or their sports team lost. Either way, cars are getting smashed. And we think about that and treat that differently. Yes, very differently. Well, I, I agree. And I, you know, other people have framed what I'm about to say in, in well-written uh, pieces lately. But the fact that in like extremely recently, we've had groups of white people well-armed literally occupy state capitals and that not get the attention of law enforcement to go and clear them out. And now we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people almost all of them unarmed and peacefully protesting and we're tear gassing and presenting them as a, as a threat and mm-hmm. as violent protesters and looters. It's disgusting. I think I saw someone said that the people are protesting, but the cops are rioting. There's a different flavor hmm. to the cops response, right? You know, because if you wanted to lead with the violence, if you wanted to lead with the violence, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about it because I've been watching quite a number of the protests and there's no de-escalation from the police. Like the way that they're shooting the rubber bullets are not to disarm, which is I guess they're supposed to shoot extremities, but they're actually aiming for heads and eyes. They're They're aggressively tear gassing people who are trapped without places to go. When people have put their hands up, like don't shoot, they actually are actually engaging the person. I've seen videos of cops kicking people in the face while they're oh, sitting please. there. That's one of the things I've been I've been thinking to myself, well, why aren't you talking about, if you're going to lead with the violence, why can't you talk about that act of violence, those acts of violence? I mean, and I see people respond to that as saying, oh, well, they're still containing them. Like, I don't think those are containment. Like, those people are disarmed. They don't have weapons on them. I have seen those stories begin to crop up about yeah. the fact that this is a um, movement against police brutality and the police respond with brutality. So I, I have seen that slowly gain traction in the past couple of days. Things yeah. are moving so quickly. In the last two days, I've seen that slowly gain traction after, yeah. and when we're recording this, this is day seven of uh, nationwide protest and unrest. Yeah, I would love to not be able to talk about this anymore. You know, and I have spoken to people who are like, you know, I'm all for this cause, but the looting, like, I don't know how to feel about it. And again, it's like what you said, Trisha, it's like, so the destruction of property bothers you? Like I, that's hard to parse in this moment. But the other thing is that I think the prevailing idea is that victims are being created by the protests. So it's bad that someone has died, but now because of this action, we are creating more victims and that's bad. More victims is bad. See, I don't, I don't see, I don't buy that. Do you know why? Because I think that then there's a central disconnect between what people are actually talking about. Because I think what they're doing is, I think when people say that, oh no, the poor shop owner, oh no, 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 oh no, the business owner, what actually is really happening is that you still want people to participate in a very violent capitalistic process. Like that's what this is about. And you are uncomfortable that these folks are actually defending property in with that's the purpose of the cops right that's really what the purpose of the cops are because i see many cops out there and they're out there protecting businesses they're not protecting people 
They're protecting businesses. Quite the, protect- quite the contrary, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're protecting businesses. They're protecting um, livelihoods of folks. And so in a weird way, it's interesting to watch the person at home with no stake and no skin in the game also doing the same thing. So I guess at the core of it is that really people have a fundamentally rejected capitalism. And they, because they don't see capitalism as violent, right? They don't see that the death of George Floyd is actually um, sort of a continuation or contingent on many other violent episodes, right? So you are sitting around concerned about Louis Vuitton. You're concerned about, I think, what I thought Oh, Burberry got their shit kicked in. and so Yeah, (laughs) and it's like all of those things. And one of the things that I think is so interesting is none of those companies, none of those companies are innocent. In any way, shape, or form, even in ter- in terms of the violence they paper- perpetrate, even on their workers, <laughs> and the, you know all of those companies, if you unmask them, somebody was really upset about attacking El Super, which is a, a store that it, mostly Hispanic folks go to, or um, and someone says, "Let me tell you about El Super," <laughs> and really broke down how El Super is really aggressively anti-worker doesn't pay any of their workers um, insurance, is really, really just not some sort of harbinger of like the greatest Hispanic business ever. And However, some, you know, so it's interesting. I, I'm totally vibing with what you're saying. I just want to clarify, you're not pointing out that because these businesses are terrible, they should be targeted. That's not what no, you're saying. No. What you're saying is, and what I'm, and so I'm constantly saying this, this is why this feels so different than like Rodney King and things of the past is think over the last 30 years, we have become not even 30, the last 10 years, we've become so aware of how everything is connected, how every aspect of our lives is connected from the way that we teach our kids in school to the way that we shop at the supermarket, to the way that we go to work, to the way that we recreate, like all of that is connected and it's connected by capitalism, which with capitalism, there's one or two winners for three million losers. Losers. Totally vibe with what you're saying. I just wanted to clarify that that's not why you're saying El Super other places. They shouldn't be targeted for that reason, but they're not blameless. They're not blameless. And I don't mean they should be targeted. But one of the things that I said when I when we opened the podcast is that I was resigned, right? What I meant by that was that I had to come to terms with the fact that things might get destroyed that I care about. And I'm okay with them being destroyed because I think George's life mattered. I thought, I think Brianna's life mattered. I just, I don't, I don't want to make those calculations anymore. I don't want to be comforted by the fact that I can go to a store and okay. You know, it's just, I, I, I'm okay with us making really, not really, I mean, I hate to say it. People have said it, well, didn't burn it all down, but I, I'm not saying that I want that but I'm also recognizing that I'm going to be in pain. And I think that's also what people are not willing to admit is that George's death connects you to, and you might need to feel pain and you're going to have to live with that pain. The that's bill, how we are. <laughs> the bill is coming due for the way that we've lived our lives and nobody wants to pay the check. That's what's happening. And, you know, for actual widespread change, it means dismantling the way that we live and all the advantages that that brings. Yeah, maybe you won't be able to go to Bergdorf Goodman and spend you know $1,400 on a t-shirt anymore. And maybe you're the kind of person who that would really bum out. But for every t-shirt sold at that price, 
like there's some kid in some factory going blind weaving it. Do you know what I mean? And so like that's why we got to tear this stuff down. Um, and also your neighborhood bodega. Your neighborhood bodega, which I get. You know, because I have to say, when I woke up and I saw it, I understood it because I know those neighborhoods, they're my neighborhoods, they're neighborhoods I grew up in. And we know how reluctant it is, people are, businesses are to come to come back to black neighborhoods. So I can understand that pain. That's what that's also about reflexively, too, because I have older black people who say that they're not upset about the burnt business per se. They're upset about the fact that that business may not return. And so therefore, we're going to do without. Right. Although the shifting, I, I, I read this headline and not the story, and I, I hate this because I target people when they do this on me. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's a fact that I can report is that the difference here is that Beverly Hills, Soho, Buckhead, it's wealthy places that are being targeted for this quote unquote sort of looting. Mm -hmm. And that's really different than like the 92 riots in LA where, you know, they bivouacked off Beverly Hills it didn't, it, it reached only the outskirts of there, but now people are starting there. People went to Soho in New York and just started smashing windows. It's a mess. I'm interested in that because that's what I'm taking as some evidence that people are aware that this sort of capitalist thing is connecting. It is connecting us all to police brutality. It's connecting us all to this really brutal, terrible way of life where people are okay with sacrificing black bodies and black lives to live the lives that they're leading. And I, I just see as an extension of Occupy Wall Street, like the economics yeah. of this is really starting to sink in for people. Nevertheless, black protesters and black organizers often say to people, please don't destroy these folks. Yes, of course not. They are very much aware. They're yes. very much aware of how it's going to play out. Similar to what happens online in terms of disinformation and kind of chaos that happens online, there are these chaotic factors at, at these protests too, which are these other arms. People want to call them um, anti-fascist. People want to call them right-wing folks. I mean, they're just people who see an opportunity and we just sure. shouldn't give them the time of day. Like sure. that's the sure. other thing about it is like, we need to go, those people are just orders of, um, they're just chaotic actors, but what are the primary people who are there, the 70%, the 95%, what are they there about and what's that message? I think it's so important that we try to focus on the most important aspects of everything happening. In every society, you have people who destroy property. In every society, you have people who you even have people who are violent, unfortunately. You cannot have a just society where police can kill people without those people being tried and convicted and sentenced according to the law. We look down on countries like Mexico and you look think of Saudi Arabia, like such outrage about Jamal Khashoggi and how he was killed. Legit, like we should be outraged about that. We do the same shit every day. We've done the same shit every day for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the only reason it's getting as much attention now is because we have cell phones with cameras in them. And like, we should stop spending so much time looking down on other countries where extrajudicial killings happen and stop spending so much time on, oh, you know, windows were broken, store was looted. Yes, that's happened. That's not ideal. That's problematic. But to me, the, the peril, like the danger to living in a society for everyone is a society where some people can be just outright murdered in the street in broad daylight 
by the people who are, I mean, this is who watches the Watchmen, right? <laughs> like, this is the problem. <laughs> These are the people we pay with our tax dollars. We've paid to train. We've paid to arm in order to supposedly serve and protect us and enforce our laws. And they are completely, not all of them, but several, you know, many of them are flouting the law and using their position, their authority, and their arms to murder people. Like, the focus has to be there. Like it's it, it to me, it's like analogous to the voter fraud conversation, yeah. where like every God knows, every five years, one person tries to impersonate someone else and vote, and yet voter suppression affects millions of people. It's just like that. Like the we have to think about proportionality here. Like the people dying in the street, like that has to be where all of the focus is. That it's it's just very frustrating. So and and this is adjacent to that in terms of what should capture your attention. I don't know if I wanna. So you know this is Black Lives Matter. So of course, necessarily, everyone is checking on their Black friend, making sure they're being appropriate with the Black things. And I also wanna say to people that George Floyd's death is Black Lives Matter, but it's the thing that Jason's talking about, accountability. Like, this should freak you the fuck out. It should freak you the fuck out. Because let me tell you, the fact that they're going to get away or potentially get away with killing George Floyd also explains why the cops feel very comfortable going after peaceful protesters. It's not just going to be us, ultimately, right? Maybe they start with us, but they're going to end with your entire society. I want to say on that... We've really spun off on a tangent. That's fine. We're going to wrap this up and move to the next thing. But I want to say, um, I know this is a difficult week and I have a lot of white friends and family and they've all been dutifully writing and calling and texting because that's what Instagram influencers are telling them they should do. And I 100,000% appreciate that. That said, George Floyd died. That death should chill us all. Do not apologize to me. Do not, do not ask me if I'm okay. Are you okay? A man died. Someone got on a man's neck and sat on it for eight minutes until the life drained out of him while he was busy checking his phone or the fuck he was doing. That should be chilling. Right, That doesn't belong to Black people. That belongs to Americans. That belongs to humanity. Right, You should be freaked the fuck out. And I'll tell you, white people, if you're not freaked the fuck out, it's because your privilege is protecting you from the very idea that that could be you. It, you're, you're not freaked out because you think that's not going to happen to you. That is precisely what will happen once they get rid of everyone else. This is about capitalism. Right. This is about just brutal, nasty capitalism. And right now it's people of color. Tomorrow it's just going to be poor people of any stripe. It's a, it's, it's a problem for all of us. So I've gotten all your messages and I love all the love and I love everyone, but don't ask me what you should do. Don't ask me if I'm okay. I'm not okay. I'm not safe. I've never been safe. And you know what? This should tell you that you have never been safe either. Amen. Damn skippy. Well, look. And on that note, no, we have more to say. 
I'd like um, to re- recommend a sitcom I just saw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, but you see, we don't laugh, we cry. Trisha, you wanted to make a point about Law and Order and police um, yeah. representation because I just got some breaking news I want to share after you say that. One of the interesting strains of conversations that I've been tracking has been the idea that um, shows, cop shows, center cops so much and complicates cops so much that when cops do bad things, we have these internal narratives around it to give them cover. I am very much a fan of cop shows. I watch Law & Order SVU. I watch Law & Order, the regular one. I also watch the ID channel where essentially that entire channel is entirely cop PR. And at times V and I talk about, my sister and I will be screaming at the thing, like, don't answer that question. Where's your lawyer? Stop talking. You know, and we see cops investigate and they can defend so many sort of erroneous moves that they make or actually illegal moves that they make simply and purely because they're trying to solve a crime. Right. And you, the audience member, are 100 percent on their side because that is what you're supposed to do comfortably. And it's what happens with Law and Order. It's what happens with all the other regular cop shows. And so there's this conversation, though, around the idea that by centering cops so much, we have lost sight of some of our responsibility to question and challenge the approaches that they take to provide us that closure we want at the end of the show. Anything having to do with media, it's like you said, the complicated narratives, like the complicated humanity that they give cops in this show can really muddle us in these times. Um, And I'm not saying that actual policemen are not human. But what I am saying is that these narratives are constructed by people who have ideas and those ideas seep into the show. For instance, I've just learned (laughs) that Dick Wolf has just fired the writer from the Chris Maloney spinoff of Mm Law and Order that was coming because he had posted some comments on Facebook that if looters step to him, he's going to light them up. And he posed with a a gun. Massive gun. Now, people will be quick to say, oh, whatever, that's one guy and he got fired and that's a good thing. However, let's just, let's rest here for a moment and understand that he was going to be writing a show about police police activity, who the police go after, and how that gets resolved. So he's telling us a story, a myth, right? Because these are myths in the modern par- parlance. Like this, He's telling us a myth about how police behave. And I cannot underscore this enough. All those people have a responsibility, and we should also find a way to bring them in line. I don't exactly know what that looks like. Trisha, but, you got to stop watching that shit. That's what it looks like. Well, I don't, you see, or, uh, well, Trisha, yes, Trisha. Yes, Trisha. Trisha. No, or you frame it, or you frame it. Because the thing is, we watch them, but we have, we interrogate them as we're watching them. It's just, it's really interesting to watch it and be engaged with deconstructing the process as you're watching it. But just recognize you're watching it, so they keep putting on shows like that. I mean, not you individually. Yeah, but yeah. If, if people didn't watch, then they wouldn't put shows like that on. They put shows like that on and lots of people are watching and I'm sure not interrogating them the way you are. I think it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, right? It's like we need we need interrogation of lots of the main players in our lives, right? That's really yes. what we're talking about. It's complicating the story. Some shows try. 
some shows try to surround the narrative, right? They'll surround the victim, they'll surround the perpetrator, and they'll start to unpack things. And so it's not convenient. But definitely, you're right. The cop shows definitely have a certain ethos and mythology. <laughs> that and is- it tends to be very favorable to the cops. And again, I'm not taking any away from the actual human beings who are police officers. But like I think of, I've seen every episode of Law & Order SVU, all 20 odd uh, seasons of it. You fall in love with those characters. And yeah. those characters, those cops that we're watching are the most moral, are the most wonderful, are the most by the book people. And when things go off the rails, they're crushed for an entire season. That's a story that we're being told. And, you know, we have to recognize that that's probably not how a lot of cops behave. But that would surprise people to know that because the cops that you've interacted with on NBC once a week behave this way. I don't know what to do with that other than I just want to point that out to people that that's a, that's a myth that's being woven for you. I just find it interesting. So I don't I don't watch cop shows really, I guess, but I, I've certainly seen a ton of movies, right? And we, as Americans, we love protagonists who are police officers who break the rules. That's what we celebrate. Everything from, you know, the Lethal Weapon series to Bad Boys. It's like, oh, look at the body count that they're, you know, they're shooting people before they know they're the right people. And and um, it's amazing. Like, those are the people we really like. And, and I would wager to say many of the people who love those movies are the same ones that in real life, like, you know, can be victimized by um, that kind of behavior from police. And, and I don't know. I, I was thinking about this watching movies lately, and I, and I just think about how, you know, what they're about to do, which were, as you were saying, Chris, like as an, the audience, you're kind of rooting for them, like, go get them. Like, yeah. we're basically talking police brutality. We're da- basically talking ex- extrajudicial killings. Like, that's what that's what we're rooting for. Remember L.A. Confidential? Yes. God, I love that movie. That was meant to be critical, I think. Nevertheless, see, that's the thing. Sometimes (laughs) it doesn't matter. Once you put it out there, like, okay, I saw that movie, like, what, 20 years ago? Who were the main people in the movie? Was it Russell Russell Crowe? Yeah. Yeah. Russell Crowe's character was, like, this, like, you know, not by the book, like, brutal kind of police officer. I remember at one point in the movie when him and the other main character, like, joined forces. I was like, yeah, now get those bad guys. He was a bad cop. Oh, Do you know yeah. what I mean? He was a bad cop. The kind of cop who would stop me in the street and then beat the shit out of me and yeah, kill me. He's absolutely. a bad cop, but we're all rooting for him. I'm just making that clear for the audience. Like that's what's happening every time you watch those shows. You want to watch those shows? Fine. But a little bit of media literacy goes a long way. Well, and okay. to the media literacy point, ultimately those shows are about the redemptive nature nature of violence. Right, which is that a war necessarily leads to peace. And I think that that's the compelling storyline around why cops are the good guys, right? And this is one of the reasons why I think they are always given a pass because the assumption is that they are guardians at the gate for us, that they deal in no- they deal with more violence and therefore violence from them is okay. Do you see what I mean? It's like they are our protectors and they're always encountering the dark side. So what if they tip a little bit to the dark side themselves? It's a necessary dark side for them. And I think that's a huge part of it. And look, I think, I hate to say this, who articulates that point of view extensively is is Trump. Yep. And, And both about the military and about the police. I mean, he has been very, I mean, first he gets into office and dismantles, you know, the Department of Justice's work 
to try to deal with racial profiling and police brutality. And his argument was, you know, cops have a tough job and people are going to be less safe if we don't let them, you know. And then and then you had that case with the the soldier where even his own fellow mm-hmm. soldier said he was, you know, murdering people and that he was the guy was going to be convicted by the military court and Trump was trying to intervene and say, look, it's, you know, he's out there in this dangerous place. So we got to give him space to do this stuff. And I, I think you're right. I think that point of view is held by a lot of people. And I think that's also why people defend in their casual life cops, because I do think that we've internalized the idea of just the organization of the world itself in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And if black people are the ultimate boogeyman, which is how we started the week before we even heard of George, right? Before we even heard of George, we heard of Chris Cooper and Amy <laughs> in Central Park with Chris, this black man, as the boogeyman. So who is fighting the boogeyman? Who fights the boogeyman? The ultimate good guy who's a cop. And so I actually think that narrative of the cop metering out justice to black people is extremely compelling to quote unquote normal everyday American whites. And I think it's very difficult for them to then abandon that visual and that, um, and, and that storytelling because cops are defending them from black people. Mm. That's the central narrative. And I think that's the central through line for Trump and why his mm. message has been so compelling. You know, Willie Horton, all of those triggers that we use in political campaigning comes from this understanding of the black person as a villain. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's why in some weird ways, cop and violence against black people, it is like, I don't know, it's like a core meaty part of our psyche. Well, I mean, look, from the earliest days of this country, well, before it was a country, a big part of law enforcement was... Slave catching. Keeping, keeping black people enslaved. And so psychologically, I think that's the drama that plays out with cops. And I think that's why cops always know, ultimately, that they will have white compliance. Although I'm not sure now, because the cops have really turned a corner lately. And I think they're engaging an, in an us and them behavior with fellow whites. I think there's potential for that. Another piece, just to tie this back to what we started out talking about, is the the fact that we see mainstream media reporters getting injured by mm-hmm. police while covering protests. I haven't seen a lot of that before. So I I do think there is- I've actually potential. never seen that. Yeah. I've never seen that before. This was a first for me. Yeah. I mean, that that to me, that is a sign of how far things have gone. And it does make you wonder whether potentially we're at a tipping point. And that's why before we got on, I'm like, how many conservatives have come out now? Not not many yet. But there's that. There's the fact that white people and reporters are now getting injured by police. I don't mean to jump to another issue, but the reason why I'm really watching to see are there going to be more principled conservatives who stand up now is the concept of the president using the military for, you know, domestic uh, I don't even want to say law enforcement for crowd dispersal. I mean, all the libertarians and and conservatives, those who would stick to their principles, should be saying like that is what people are scared of all time. Like that's the reason people give for Second Amendment rights, right? Like I got to have my own gun in case the police have, ever come after me or the military is ever used against me. Well, we're see- certainly the language of that is being used now. 
So I do think it's possible we will see more movement. I think one of the big challenges is that there is this, you know, the very visual manifestation of the corruption in our system of someone like George Floyd being murdered the way he was in the street. But as we know, and one of you used the word accountability earlier, the reason that happens again and again is that police unions and other apologists for the police over many years have cemented policy after policy that makes it extremely difficult to convict. One thing I'm thinking about is like Baltimore with Freddie Gray, right? So you had this, you know, Freddie Gray gets, you know, dies in police custody in a very heinous way. And in that case, you know, a lot of people thought it was going to play out differently in terms of accountability because you had a black mayor and a black, you know, police chief. And there were all these reasons why people thought it was going to be different. And it wasn't. And because, because the reality is there are structural reasons. There are policies in place all over the country that make it very difficult to convict a police officer under under any circumstances. It happens, but it happens rarely. And so the question becomes, one, I think the, the immediate question what, that you were raising, Tricia, is, is this a moment where actually more public opinion um, turns against what police have been doing and that kind of thing? Then the next thing, though, which is always so challenging is, can there be enough stamina of that outrage and that interest to, to change all these policies that have been meticulously put into place over years that allow for this to happen with no accountability. I mean, well said, I think. Um, well said. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I mean, I, I think. That's I just want to say all of us are really killing it. We need to <laughs> mass civil unrest. I mean, uh, do I even need to edit this? Everything we're saying is just gold. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, one other thing I think that is really noteworthy about this moment, though, as Jason points out, is maybe it's the conflagration of many things. I mean, but you have to think about COVID-19 and what COVID-19 unmasked for lots of people, which is fundamental failures, structural failures at yes. deep, deep structural failures. Cultural failures. City, state, and federal like level failure, right? And so... Why then, why then would be would the police be exempt from those failures? Because the other more obvious one is, look how responsive they have been to the protests. The yeah. gears people have. Yeah, they got that equipment. We can't get personal <laughs> protective equipment, but we can get rubber bullets, which I, when I was in Israel, get used all the time, unfortunately. I've almost never heard of rubber bullets being used here before. All of a sudden, we have them in every pre precinct in the country. Sorry to interrupt. It's no, amazing. No, that's that, that's it's exactly amazing. right. But then the other thing is, think about it. Think about the curfew. We didn't institute a curfew for co managing COVID. We could have done that with the buses and all of that. But we definitely instituted one to manage a set of protesters who are actually a limited number compared to who would have been detrimentally impacted if we had instituted COVID curfews in general. To save the bus Great drivers, point. to save, you know, I mean, that and, and the PPEs for the medical staff. I mean, that is just the contrast, that preparation. So to your point, Jason, though, the question of like, Trump suggesting that he would continue because he did activate the military in DC. Yes. And so he suggests, but, but then I guess it's because DC doesn't, isn't, isn't a state. So does he yeah, really DC, get it right? I mean, it, it, he's playing an interesting <laughs> game like DC. Cause you know, where they use the tear gas was, it's not on the white house grounds, but it's like right up the block. And 
it's really interesting. And, it, you know, the mayor of D.C. has been talking. It's very frustrating because she can't do anything about it. Like if he sends his law enforcement to do those things, like wh- what can she do? This is, this is literally why there was a revolutionary war, like this kind of behavior. But let's talk about Trump and his behavior. I'll start off with questions. and I'm going to just go into like a long rant full with curse words. So this morning, the president walked from the White House to the Episcopal Church across the street to say what, what, whatever he's been saying, law and order, law and order, law and order. Um, I'm going to dominate the streets, whatever. And he's waving a Bible around. And as soon as like the cameras went away, he put the Bible down and went about his business doing evil somewhere else. Now, in order to get to the church, he had to clear the way. So the, they had the, I guess it was the military, throw tear gas at the people who are peacefully protesting across the street from the White House at the church. Some of the people who were affected by the gas was the clergy of the church so he could have his fascist photo op. I always come back to this, like, at what point, at what point can we do something about Donald Trump? And I say this in in general, non-threatening terms, right? What can we do... How can we do something about this? I've seen post after post, article after article, this can't happen in America. How can this happen in America? This isn't America. At what point does that turn into action? Like, is it okay for him to just gas people? Because I shouldn't say gas people because that's connotations, but is it okay for them to use tear gas on people just so that he can have this stupid ass photo op? What did you think about that? Yeah, tear gassing people who are peacefully, who are breaking no laws. They were he just wants them out of the way. Get out of the way. Yeah. The president's coming. I mean, it's it's crazy. It wasn't like if it was after the curfew, it still would have been terrible. But you could there'd be at least some rationale. You could say again, even maybe not adequate. But it's like it is insane. And that I don't know, Chris. I don't know the answer to your question. That's why I say though. I, I mean, the all the people, all of the Republicans and conservatives who had problems with there being stay-at-home orders and lockdowns in states. This is another, like, all the people that hate, you know, a strong federal government and all of that means, that is what is going on here. Like, he is using the military against American, law-abiding Americans. Like, I, I don't know. If it's not this, it's really hard for me to know what it would be. This is, it is unbelievable. Well, I think I think one of the reasons why I don't think this will have an impact is because oh. I... <laughs> damn it go on i'm just sorry oh i don't God. believe it, oh. i don't believe it will have an impact because similar to the murder of george and all the many african-americans is we are not americans from the moment trump began his presidency he has established there are some americans who are more americans than others and journalists are not americans they're enemies of the people. Enemy, and he's right. done a very, very good job of um, saturating the media with that storyline for some. And the media has helped him do it, which is to their own detriment, right? They never, they didn't push back on that enough, I think, that narrative in a full way. Um, and so I yeah, actually- They were enjoying it. They were, yeah. I mean, they, it, it, they were enjoying a bullying kind of situation. So what you now have are people who are being attacked as journalists. But guess what? Journalists aren't us. Um, and they are enemies. And then you're talking about, I mean, I hate to frame it this way, but maybe what you're going to have are people saying that these are nigger lovers. 
what's the worst thing a white person can be is one of those, right? So maybe they lose status as even white people in 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 people in other people's eyes, which we've seen. Well, we've seen that breakdown. I mean, Charlottesville, yeah. you saw that absolutely. There were a lot of white people there who were attacked. Yeah, and 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 they don't get to have the protection of whiteness because, in some sense, they've abandoned the very definition of whiteness, right, as a thing. So I I don't believe that. I think when people are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, wait until November, that's the last gasp people have, which I actually say, why even wait until November? If you think that if you think that using tear gas to walk through a pathway (laughs) was was something that you couldn't do, what makes you what makes people think an election will comfortably happen? That's my question, is that. They tried to impeach him. He was not removed from office. That was not going to happen, but the situation has changed. Short of a revolution, I imagine there must be some way for a vote of no confidence to be entered and the president to be removed. This is escalating. He's escalating. He's spinning out of control, hiding in his bunker at night. You know, White House is dark. Like, he's just abandoned his post. Well, I don't think people conceive of it that way. I mean, so I had some. I saw someone say he came out and his today when he walked, he'd never seen anyone so strong. I mean, we have to look at what these signals mean to certain people. You know, for us, it looks like spinning out of control. For many others, it looks like controlling the um, the rabble rousers, a dwindling uh, I, I, amount I, of riffraff, a dwindling amount of people. I don't know that. It, well, I don't think we know how much it's dwindling. I and mean, this reminds me of yeah. back during the debates when we would think he's losing support yep. because he sounds so crazy and then he won the election i i don't know if it's maybe it is i hope you're right chris but i i don't know and i agree with trish i mean when he made the speech yesterday and i listened to it and i was thinking i should have been able to predict he would make a speech like that and do what he's done over the past 24 hours after he was driven into his bunker i think today was absolutely him showing his base no no no, no. you may have heard i was in my bunker but i am in control and it's all these weak governors and mayors across the country that are allowing this, and I'm going to be the guy to stop it. And he got great photo ops with that. Yeah, and again, remember, our friends, this, these are our friends on our timeline. What are our friends leading with? The looting, the lack of control. Make it stop. So if our friends, our liberal-minded people, want it to stop, what do you think others want? And how much will they look for a father or a daddy figure to make it stop? I'm not debating either of you that these people exist, but I do think the number is dwindling. I mean, this needs to be said over and over again, but he lost by 3 million votes. The majority of for Americans sure. did not want him to be president. For and sure. I think where we are four years later is that the, the 33 million people, I could be getting that number wrong. It's stuck in my head for some reason though. But the, the people who voted for him, um, I can't imagine that he's retained all of those people. Some of the more moderate people, the people who are anti-Hillary, but not necessarily Republican, like those people have fallen off. And the kind of people who are going to respond to him threatening, you know, brimstone and fire while holding a Bible, I do believe that is a slimmer group of Americans. Now, that's a slim group of Americans, you know, um, but I do not think that's the majority of Republicans. I don't think that's the majority of conservatives. I would imagine that many conservatives college-educated white conservatives now are beginning to wake up to the danger that he poses because it's not just about 
listen, take it to the end, right? It's not just about like caging uh, Latinos or murdering black people. It's not about that. Like he is, he has in the stranglehold, forgive me, like the American way of life, like the haves and have nots are going to suffer the haves as well. If this doesn't end, you know, it's going to affect people's bottom lines and, and the powerful people in the country who actually have money and influence are not going to stand for it. I think there's a chance you're right. And I do, I think no question. I think Biden is going, is probably much more palatable for maybe not for the right reasons, but then Hillary was. And so I do think we're going to see conservatives and independents gravitate towards Biden. And I do think the craziness going on now will increase that. I think the challenge is, you know, Trump and his and his apparatus have been savvy about voter suppression. They've been mm-hmm. savvy about playing to their base. And it, it, I think no matter what happens, it's going to be close again. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's possible he will again stitch together enough electoral votes. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, God knows I hope I'm wrong. But I, I, I mean, if you look at COVID, you look at the economy, and now you look at how he's behaving now and and everything going on, I I would want to see approval rate ratings going down to like 20%, but we don't see that. Hmm. Well, um, depressing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I start off by saying that I was scared and I was excited. And I want to, before we go to recommendations, I just want to talk about that. I am frightened. <laughs> I don't know. If you are black or possibly Caribbean and of a certain age, perhaps you remember your parents talking about the revolution. Like we talked about it in my house and my uncles talk about it all the time. They'd be like my parents say things like, well, when the revolution comes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They talked about it with such seriousness. I thought it was a joke when I was little, but they talked about it with such seriousness that I really believed it. And I didn't realize how much I believed it until recently. Like, I think this is what they were talking about. They were, they were, sort of telling me that there was going to come a moment when we couldn't be pushed around as black people anymore and that we would actually push back and it would work this time. And I'm excited because I feel like this is the moment. This feels really different than anything that's happened in my life. It feels a little bit like what I've read the few days after Martin Luther King was assassinated, um, what that was like when there was civil unrest in the country, which ended a week later with the signing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I look at the video of people from around the world, from Paris to, to Auckland, New Zealand, uh, Honolulu, which is still in the country, but it's like, I can't believe they care about this kind of stuff. You know, um, all over the world, people are coming together around this idea that please stop killing black people. And it excites me because as anti-black as the entire planet is, the fact that so many people are out in the streets chanting that my life matters, that black people's lives matter, it feels like a turning point. I usually am cautious about optimism (laughs) uh, without being an out-and-out pessimist, but this feels momentous. This feels like a moment, and I'm here for it, and I'm ready for it, and I've been preparing for this for a long time. I've always known this bill was going to come due, and I'm prepared to pay it. I am prepared to... I'm prepared to um, suffer for what I have made other people suffer through my participation in, in this brutal capitalist environment. Um, and that's, that's what I have to say. That's why I'm excited. 
I think the world is changing as we're watching and it's going to be bad before it's better. But the better is something that I think is coming. And I wish my parents were here for this moment, as scary as it is. It's what they've always been talking about. So, so we'll see. So that's cautious optimism for me. Um, so let's talk about recommendations. It's been a difficult week. So what have you seen, heard, read, or experienced this week that's helping you get through um, the end of this world as we know it? Jason? I don't this may I don't know if I'm cheating when I use this because I think we're all Here familiar with it. We go. No, no, this is a real recommendation. <laughs> I would like to just recommend the Sarah Cooper videos <laughs> where she, you know, lip syncs what the president says. Are you familiar is, with this, Trisha? Of course. I follow Yes, her. it's really funny. That's why I thought I was maybe cheating, because I know you both are familiar with it, but it I mean, you just think about it. She's not saying anything. She's doing like just a little bit like facial expressions and a little bit of pantomime. And it is brilliant. It is just, it is like really brilliant, you know, subtle satire. I think it's great. That's great. Uh, Trisha, what is getting you through this week? My sister has been on my tail about watching the burning of Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. 99 years ago today. (laughs) (laughs) June 1st. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so there is a documentary on um, YouTube that we popped up on our um, TV screen yesterday and watched. What's noteworthy about this, which is essentially that a bunch of white people went into a black part of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and simply burned the town down, okay? Killed everyone in sight, essentially destroyed everything, and then sold the land right from underneath those folks. So it doesn't seem like this would be upbeat things to watch, but what you see is like the historical legacy of this moment. It's like a through line. Once you're watching that, you're like, oh, it helps you comprehend this moment even more. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, for me, comprehension is really important. It's grounding. So that got me through the week, just watching um, um, last night with my sister. It was helpful um, foundational knowledge. My recommendation is Amanda Seals. She is a actress, comic. Um, she is a co-host on the show The Real, and you know her as Tiffany on Insecure. If you are not following her on Instagram, please follow her because everything that woman says is the truth. She calls everybody out, and she lets white people know, she lets black people know, and she's brilliant and funny, and watching her speak so passionately and eloquently about what's going on right now has really gotten me through. She's a wonder. Now I'm a huge fan. And I was just watching a live stream right before we started. She just announced she didn't sign her contract with The Real because she just felt as a black woman, they didn't let her express herself the way that she wanted to. So she was like, where I am is that I'm out. So I canceled it today. I was like, oh shit, is this breaking news? I'm getting on a live stream. (laughs) So I would recommend that. Can I just say one more thing? No. All right, well, on that note, This is the moment that we call it all out. No more apologizing, no more letting people off the hook. We need to call people out. I saw a video this morning about um, this Broadway black guy who wrote the show Witness Uganda, which is called Invisible Thread, because he says the director producer made him change it. And he goes to this whole thing talking about, he doesn't name the person who is Diane Paulus. And I was like, 
call these people out so we all know and so we can hold them accountable and be like, okay, now we know. As I've been saying since college, Trisha, what am I always saying? I like my racists where I can see them. <laughs> Don't let people hide. And, and the other thing is like, People are calling like, you know, Barbecue Becky and like all these people. Don't give them cute nicknames. Use their names. Like Amy Cooper, use her name so we remember it. You know, she's not the central part Karen. Like don't do that. Use their names, put it out there and let them deal. Let them have the courage of their racist convictions. So I just want to put that out there. All right. Oh, God. Okay. Let's take a nap. I know. Uh, I'm really exhausted after that conversation. (laughs) How have you been taking care of yourself, Trish? Uh, I've been reading really trashy romance novels. About biker gangs who <laughs> fight crime? Actually, this time around, it was an alien with a green <sighs> And on that note, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> bye. Green <laughs> penis. That's it. <laughs>